The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Hey, my wife and I were out of the country in South America for almost a month over the last holidays, and it's so good to be back home and rejuvenated to begin 2023. Just as an aside, if you've never been to South south of the equator for a contrary season vacation, I recommend it highly. The long days of summer daylight were wonderful. So my guest today is the founder of Men for Jesus in Texas, where he has ministered to thousands of men, helping them become better husbands, fathers, and men of God. He has done that while still working full-time in the petrochemical industry as a shift worker, in addition to raising his four children. He's also written a short book titled The Dash, What Will Your Dash Say About You? Eloy Huerta, thank you so much for coming on the show, and welcome to Wrestling with the Interman. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor being here. Well, you know, I read your book, and, you know, we, we had lunch, and we kind of had a chance to kind of talk about your upbringing and stuff. So before, you know, we get to talking about the book, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your childhood, and, and, and especially, you know, how you, you met your wife on your first date. <laughs> That's a funny story there. It is. Uh, I was born in Kingsville, Texas, just south of uh, Corpus. And um, my family, we moved to Houston probably when I was six months old. After that, my dad knew that we needed to have a better life. Uh, they were migrant workers is what they were. Uh, both my parents went to school maybe till the fifth or sixth grade. So it was important for my dad for us to accomplish more than what he did. Mm-hmm. And that was very important for him. So we moved down here to Houston and or up here to Houston. And and it's just been a beautiful time for us. I was married right out of high school. I went to school at Madison High School. After I finished high school, um, like I said, I got married, had two kids, beautiful kids. And they're older now. They live in the Austin area, closer to their mom. And then... Uh, a few years later, we get divorced, and then uh, I get married a second time pretty much right away. And uh, right after my divorce, I'm thinking I'm never going to get married again, but yeah, God had that. other plans. <laughs> God had other plans. Well, I'm at work, and there's this lady that walks by, and I'm thinking that is the most beautiful, beautiful woman I have ever seen. And so I said, wow, I'm going to ask her out. So I asked her out, and she looked at me. She says, no. I said, Why? She goes, we're unequally yoked. I said, what's unequally yoked? I wasn't a Christian. I had no idea what that was. I said, I- I'm not an egg is what I told her. <laughs> and she says, no, but you're an egghead. And I was like, what? What did she? Boy, I was feisty. I like her. Yeah, I yeah. like her. And so anyways, uh, she finally said, yes, I'll go out with you. Well, we ended up going to church. She says, only if you go to church with me. I ended up going to church at Lakewood with Daddy John Osteen, was a minister. Mm-hmm. That's how long ago it was, 34 years ago. And uh, that was our first date. And so at the end, they do an altar call. I had no idea what all this was, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior on that first date. So that's what makes it so beautiful. But back to how we were raised, uh, 
like I said, we were, we were poor. My parents were migrant workers. They they got whatever jobs they could get, things like that. My my dad finally um, got into the restaurant business. He was a, a barbecue cook. Uh, both my parents have passed away about over 20 years now, both of them. But my dad wanted better for us. Since they didn't finish school, they made sure that all of us kids, there were six of us, that all of us would complete high school at least Mm -hmm. because he knew the importance of finishing high school, getting an education to get a better job. Right. And most of us did, uh, or we all finished high school, but most of us went to college as well. A little bit of college. Mm -hmm. Uh, My brother ended up getting a master's in business. And then some of the other brothers and sisters went to school so that they could uh, get better at their job, so to speak, business, things like that. But that's how that's how we grew up. Uh, quick story about growing up poor. When when I was little, I was probably about the fourth or fifth grade. My mom would find deals at garage sales, things like that. She bought me a pair of shoes. Well, I mean, I, she says I bought you a pair of shoes. I was so excited. They were different colors. They were green and brown, and they had my shoe size on the back. Well, little did I know that they were bowling shoes. I had no <laughs> idea what bowling was. I take him to school. I'm sliding around and things like that. And the teacher says, oh, those are bowling shoes. I said, what's bowling? I never knew what bowling was. We never went bowling. We couldn't afford to do any of that. And so th- that was my first experience of, of knowing that we were, that we were poor. And, uh, but we did the best we could. My parents were awesome parents. Um, financially, we weren't set any type of, in any type of way. Is, but but we had a good life growing up. Like I said, we, we were really family-oriented, and it was important for my parents to do that for us. Yeah. Well, that's I think that's important for our listeners, you know, because, you know, a lot of people grew up poor. And, yes. you know, the thing is, is like most people that I know that had good family environment didn't realize that they were poor because they didn't feel like they were missing anything because they have that love of both of their parents and the families together and you have – siblings and you do things together and that's why i was so uh, amused you know with the bowling shoe story yeah. because you're like i remember uh i was raised you know an air force family we were very like lower middle class you know and, and i had started school in germany and uh so i was you know overseas and i come back and i'm in first grade and and you know they bought me like a monthly lunch ticket and and i'd you know i'd never eaten lunch at school and you know and they have like the tray, you know, and then you've got all your dishes and everything on it. And then you throw your milk carton away and whatever, your napkin and stuff. And I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do with the tray. And, and so I, you know, I was just kind of watching other people. And I just slid my whole tray into the trash. And then there was this big black janitor named Malcolm Drum, who was actually a friend of our family. <laughs> he grabbed me by the back of the shirt. He goes, you got to dig your silverware and plates, you know, out of the trash. And, man, I was humiliated and embarrassed, you know, yeah. by that. But that's just... We're oftentimes in situations where, you know, we're new at something and we don't know. And, you know, it's about overcoming it and being able to, you know, even make light of it and, and laugh about it today. So uh, so you know that I worked in the refining and petrochemicals industry for 31 years. Uh, and, and I worked with many operators, you know, on shift work. Sometimes they're kind of hard-headed. You know, it's hard no to get through way. those guys. Operators? I've never known an operator yes. be hard-headed. Unless you bring the donuts. You know? <laughs> Uh, but most are extremely hardworking people who went right to work, you know, right out of high school because they had to, you know, or with minimum formal education. So how does working shift work in a, you know, chemical plant still, you know, today 
give you opportunities to help teach others? Well, I've, I've worked in the chemical plant industry for over 30 years now. Uh, I've enjoyed my time. I've, I've worked at several plants, and even every plant, they knew that I was a Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't have a Bible in one hand, anointing oil in the other, and slapping them across <laughs> the head, which would have been a good idea sometimes. But I tried my best to walk the walk. Uh, once I got saved, I, I, I still had a lot to learn. And I just happened to be an operator at a chemical plant at the same time. And like you said, it, it's not easy. Shift work, you're away from your family, those types of things. But what I tried to do was uh, be an example, so to speak. If you needed prayer, if you needed somebody to talk to. And at a younger age, it was very difficult for me because I was still facing some things myself that I needed to change in me. But as I got older, and now again, 30 years into the ministry, 30 years at chemical plants, I've been able to pray for people to talk to them about the Lord, uh, to maybe even some people have given their heart to the Lord at the plant uh, because they're going awesome. through so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm able to teach them and talk to them and just let them know that there's someone there that cares for them, that died for them. And that that's what's so important. Uh, shift work, I mentioned, it's very difficult away from the children, away from the wife. And I would try to, and I'm still trying to teach men, uh, make sure you go home, love your family. Don't don't go to the bar with the guys just because everybody's going there. Right. Because after a while, she's going to kick you out. And that buddy that you went to drink with, his wife's not going to want you on his couch, you know. And right. so I would try to teach these guys, your family is the most important thing. Uh, also, I try to teach them about their finances. I'm not rich by any means, but one of the things that the Lord has taught me is how to get out of debt. And I thank God for that. Um, and, and, I, and we can talk yeah. about that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because I, I know it's related <clears throat> to the book, but, but did, did you want to finish up? Yes, yeah. and and so some of the things I would do is pray for the men. Uh, they Once they know that I'm a Christian, they'll pull me to the side and say, hey, can you pray for me? And I and I would do that, and I and I would pray for them. And, and not to embarrass them, I'd take them around the corner, sure. you yeah. know, in a room or something. It's just one-on-one and tears streaming down their face and— and so I had a chance to minister to a lot of men through that. A uh, quick, quick story, if I can. Sure, uh, sure. One, one day I'm at work, and, and the HR calls me, and they say, uh, uh, can you meet me outside? I said, sure. And I go outside, and she says, can you get in the truck? I'm thinking, man, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what in the world happened here? You know, and my boss's boss is in the front seat driving, and she gets in the passenger seat, and I get in the back. And uh, the back of the, the F-150 there, and I, I'm like, what happened? Somebody report me? What's going <laughs> on here? Am I getting fired? Do I need to pick up my lunch kit and go or what? Well, they drive around. They go behind a building, and they're parking. And I'm thinking, I'm going to the woodshed here. They're really going to take me. <laughs> the sulfur pit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, they'll never hear from me again because nobody knew I was gone. And so I said, yes, ma'am. I said, uh, can I ask what this is about? And then we park, and she says, uh, I need you to pray for this man. This is HR. I'm thinking, wow. is this a test? Am I about to be uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right, right. Or you're going to get fired if you pray for this man? Or do I pray for the man? I said, well, Lord. And I said, you're still my Lord. doesn't matter. Whatever happens, happens. I said, yes, ma'am. I'll pray for him. And so I laid hands on him and prayed over him. And tears running down his face. And I'm thinking, man, did this just happen? 
and but it did and so it's important to walk your walk even people that you don't even know that you're going to get to pray for you end up praying for that man has gone on to be with the lord he got saved so it, it's a lot better for him now now he's with yeah. jesus walking the streets no of what a fantastic story that's uh yeah, kind of scary. You know, like you said, is is it you know HR? Usually, conversations with HR are never uh, good things. No, but, never uh, are. That was so. You know, you you told us a story about how you met your wife and how you know she asked you to go to church at Lakewood and then you were saved. But now, you know, being saved and then just being an active Christian in church is one thing, but starting a ministry is you know something altogether you know next level. So, what led you to begin the Men for Jesus in Texas ministry? And what kind of things, you know, do you do for men? Well, what we try to do, well, we, we're real. When we come to these meetings, it's just the men. Mm-hmm. Uh, once a year we have it where ladies are invited. Because what happened one time was a lady wanted to come. And I said, no, 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 this is for men. It's meant for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I, I want to be with my husband and see what y'all talk about. So I prayed about it, and the Lord told me, he says, you need to have one meeting a year where ladies are invited. And so we've started to do that. It's probably been seven or eight years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we have it, and we rent out. And, and we live in the Alvin area at the time, and we rented out Joe's Banquet Center. Mm-hmm. And so we've had 80, 85 people. I have special guest speakers come and speak and just talk about the Lord, marriages, families, those types of things. That's what we do. But what we what happened was over 20 years ago, probably closer to 25 years ago, the Lord told me, you're going to minister to men, thousands, arenas, things like that. I'm thinking, Lord, I can't even talk in front of people. Every time I got in front of people, my knees would knock. I'd shake. I'd, I'd oh, my goodness, oh, what am I going to do? And the Lord, I told him, I said, Lord, I said, um, you're going to have some to change some things in me. Number one, I need to be a better father, a better husband, a better man of God. Those are three things right there. But you're going to have to help me take this nervousness away, the scared I don't want to be that. I, I want to be able to talk to men like I'm talking to you right, right now, David. And the Lord says, I can do that. I sat under a pastor for over 12 years, Pastor Walter Hallam, and I sat under his ministry. Every year for the whole month of, say, June or July, he chose whatever month it was, he would teach on family. One week it would be husbands. Next week it's about finances in the family. Next time it's uh, the wife and the husband, the relationship. And the Lord was preparing me, changing me a little at a time to where I could write the book or where I could have a ministry. And I sat under it, like I said, for 12 years. And then after that, uh, the Lord, this February, it'll be 10 years of Men for Jesus. Amen. And uh, so that that's how we started Men for Jesus. Okay. But, but it was sitting under a pastor— so many men have a difficult time sitting under a, a minister that's trying to help them and their families. Uh, they, I can do it by myself. I don't need any help. Those types of things. And that's just not so. Yeah, submitting to authority is something that I think all men struggle with, you know. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, in the military or, you know, in a, in a work environment, but certainly in a church environment because there's no formal structure. But, you know, you have to serve under authority. And, Amen. and the pastor is, is the leader of the church. Amen. So uh, how long were you doing this ministry before you decided to write your little book here, The Dash? Well, I was uh, helping in children's church with my wife. I was helping in parking cars, men's ministry, whatever they needed at the church, I would help. 
And I believe that the Lord was showing me during these times, because he had told me uh, probably about 10 years ago, uh, he told me I was going to be writing this book. I said, okay, Lord. And then he gave me the title to every chapter. I want this, 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 this. I said, okay, Lord. And I wrote it on a piece of paper, and I carried it in my pocket at work. And I'd look at it, and I'd pray over it and say, Lord, help me. Help me with every one of these titles. Help me to be able to have a story. Help me to be able to do what I need to do. And he did. And so um, when that paper and that notebook wore out, I'd rewrite it every chapter again. And um, I was in ministry at the church, any wherever they needed me. And then if we went to another church, I'd help out wherever they needed me. I was never behind the pulpit, never trying to be behind the pulpit. Uh, it was always, where do you need me to help? Serving. You? Yeah. Yep. And by doing that, as I was serving and helping, it was easier when I ended up sitting down to write my book. Mm-hmm. But And how uh, long ago was that? This was probably 20-something years no, ago. I mean, but when did you write oh, the when book? I, when when I wrote the book, the book, it was probably, oh, last year is when I wrote it. Okay. It so, was uh, last year, 2022. Well, let me just plug it here real quick, folks. The, the book is called The Dash. What will your dash say about you by Eli Huerta? And uh, where can it be... Uh, Obtained. You can buy this book on online only, Barnes and Noble online, BarnesandNoble.com, as well as Amazon.com. It's it's probably about twelve or thirteen dollars yeah. plus shipping and yeah. handling or yeah. whatever they do. Okay, so then, uh, what made you decide to write the book? Then you, you, you said that the well, Lord told you. Yeah, the Lord He just said you're going to write a book, and I said, okay, Lord, give me the title. He did. He said the dash, and it's what the, basically it's the year you were born, the year you die. Mm-hmm. There's a dash in the middle. Right. What legacy did you leave during that dash? We're all leaving a legacy, whether we know right. it or not. Right. One, are, are you leaving a mark or are you leaving a scar? Mm-hmm. And that's so important. Most men don't realize that, that they're leaving a mark of when you die, your family's like, man, I miss that guy. Man, I wish he was around. Or are you leaving a scar where they're saying, I'm glad he's gone. Yeah. There was nothing but pain and hurt when he was around. And so that's what the, the book is basically saying. Which one are you? What legacy did you leave? If we, if we mentioned some names right away, you, you're going to have something in your mind. If I mentioned Joe Montana, mm-hmm. some people say greatest quarterback ever. If I mentioned Earl Campbell, oh, best running back ever. What if I mentioned your name, David Savage, or anybody else, a Mike or a David or a, a, a John? What if I mentioned your names? What would people say about you? I would have said Eloy, but there's not too many Eloys out there. <laughs> hey, I, I did know one growing up. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the reason I wrote the book. The Lord told me to write it, number one. Number two, I had to change things in me. And then number three, as I wrote that book, it took me a, a weekend to write it. It's not a very thick book. One one pastor, after he read it, he told me, he says, Eloy, it's not, it's not a very thick book, but I can honestly tell you there's a lot in just this little book that I needed to hear. He said, it helped me realize, even though I'm a pastor, it helped me realize there's some things in me I needed to change. And so I'm touching souls for Jesus. That's my goal, and and uh, hopefully people will buy it. Well, I can see it. I can feel it. I, in fact, I think you, you know that I'm a little bit envious because oh. <laughs> I don't have—I I don't know if I can say the Lord told me something. you yeah. know. And I'm trying to talk to him all the time, you know, <laughs> but I'm never really that clear— you know, where I'm saying, hey, the Lord told me, you know, to do this or to do that. And that clarity 
you know, is a gift. I think, God you know, it, it, God talks about how we have different gifts. You know, people speak in tongues and healing and, you know, preaching and administration and other gifts. And so I think that's just, a, you know, a gift that you've been given. And this is a, this is a 40-page book, folks. It's a quick, easy read. But that's what's also a blessing about his ministry is it's just succinct, clear, and precise. It's like there's no, you know, fluff or anything about it. It's, it's really just trying to get down to what's your legacy. Yes. And uh, so... So what would you recommend then for, for our listeners out there in terms of uh, how they can begin to uh, have a better story for their dash? Well, number one is be submissive to what God wants you to do. That's the main thing. Be submissive because you have to change. You have to be a servant. You, you, Jesus even washed the disciples' feet. Right. You, you have to be able to want to do that. Whether you like it or not, what is God asking you to do? Some some of you, God has told you to change some things in your life, but it's easier to walk away because your buddies have walked away from their marriages. Don't do that. Stay stay in that marriage. Work it out. Do what you need to do as a husband to change the areas of your life that need to be changed so that you can have that marriage and be married 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, to be able to tell people, we struggled, we had a difficult time, but we made it through. We made it through. And so many times, it's easier to give up. It's just like that, like that little train that could. He's almost at right. the top. He's all, and, but when he got to the top, he saw, all right, I can make it. And once he got downhill, it's a lot easier. It's no different in a marriage. Well, you know, when we're talking about marriage, probably one of the number one reasons that people get divorced is over finances. Uh-huh. And, you know, you said, you know, you grew up poor. You also come from Hispanic culture. And I, and I, I think, you know, from uh, being married to a woman from Mexico City for 11 years myself and being familiar with the culture, they, there isn't a lot of instruction about finances. And that can really be tell, – tell us about how you try to help these young men uh, Well, we we used it in our home. We did the envelope system. I don't know if you're familiar with the envelope system. Mm-hmm. And what we did is we taught our kids this. We, we, we told them to get envelopes out, maybe eight, ten, however many envelopes they needed. But the first one is always tithing. You give to God what is God's, 10%. The second one is savings, 10%. You give 10%, you save 10%, then you start splitting your money to where your envelopes are full to where you can pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Our kids still do that. They don't use the envelope system, so to speak. They put it in their bank account, but it's all designated right. of where it should go. Yeah. And that's what my father didn't teach us. I learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. But now we're good. Yeah. Well, with interest rates you know, creeping up, and I know when I graduated <laughs> you know, from college— they were 18%. I had to finance like my first truck that I ever bought, you know, at like 18%. And yes. man, I, I learned some hard lessons yes. on uh, interest rates and I, I, I adjusted quickly, you know, so I didn't get into that debt hole. But uh, well, we're just about out of time. Uh, in closing, any, any final thoughts or words or of advice that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, just keep Jesus first. That's the main thing. Have that relationship with him. Once you get to know him, get him, get to know him a little bit more. It never stops. The Bible is so beautiful. It's a book of overcomers, people that have have fallen and gotten back up. You're no different. You're no different, sir, if you're listening. You're no different. Get into a ministry where you can sit under that pastor and learn and be taught by them. Stay strong in the name of Jesus and keep that marriage going. Your family is important. If no one's ever told you that, your family is important. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, we have uh, sponsors and uh my sponsor is Prism Specialties, and he's been sponsoring me really for the life of this program. And uh, 
what they do is they're in the, the restoration business, and that's just a perfect sponsor for uh, our message. And so whether it's your electronics, textiles, or artwork that may have been damaged you know, by flooding or uh, lightning strikes, PRISM can help you restore and recover those valuables. And if you've got any uh, suggestions about our program content or you want to learn more about Eloy and his ministry, uh, email me at wrestlingwiththeinterman at gmail.com to offer input, suggestions, or feedback on any of our programs. And then uh, real quickly, dear Lord, we just ask you to bless Eloy's ministry to help men out there, especially just the hourly worker who's out there working in shift work because they're just as important as any other person. And we just want to work on those marriages and their finances and help them to have a glory-filled life to reflect your love. In Christ's name, amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. For more information, reach out to David at WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. That's WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.